The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. About 20 minutes into the flight, uh, we felt like we'd been hit by a Mack truck on the left side. The jolt was so violent that Darren Ellison, my first officer, thought that we'd been hit by another aircraft. Our number one engine, which is on my side, the captain's side, had exploded and we went into a rapid roll to the left. By Darren the grace of God control. and nerves of steel, Tammy Joel Schultz saved 148 lives. Next. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Betty and this is James. And you know, I'm, I'm, we've got a pilot here with us. You may mm -hmm. not know this. I'm a pilot. I flew for the ministry for 15 years and I really began flying in self-defense because I was driving to all the crusades everywhere. Sometimes you and Rhonda and baby mm -hmm. girl would drive with us. But I was, I was literally in one year driven off the road five times, each time near death. One time it's a miracle I wasn't killed instantly. And I said, man, I got to get off the road. I'm going everywhere. And so I started learning to fly. And over 50 years ago, I became a pilot. So pilots understand something about what's going on and what's what's required. They also understand how absolutely safe airplanes are. And I got to be honest with you, they're safer than cars. And you don't have to deal with all the people <laughs> driving other cars. <laughs> and so it's the safest way to travel. But when a problem occurs, it... Uh, I don't even think to say nerves of steel is necessarily the right response. You have to be highly trained and you're trained for emergencies. But when they hit, and the one that this pilot, a woman, a very talented Navy pilot and a airline pilot, she responded and wonderfully in a very difficult situation, but her nerves of steel had some support and she didn't mind talking about it and there's a hundred and forty plus passengers that are glad she had help and that she was on top of it would you welcome Tammy Jo Schultz to my today Well, this is a really, really, really cool picture, and I know they're going to get a close-up on the screen. <laughs> like I said, I'd like it better if I were behind the jet, but it is. I, <laughs> I do like a no, good aircraft. It, it, it is really <laughs> that. See, that's just. A, I'm, I'm really amazed at what airplanes do for people. They, in a way, mm -hmm. are a gift from God. They, there's nothing man created in the image of God can't do to bless people, and aircraft is one of them. Took us a long time to learn from the bird how lift really occurs, but it's a great thing. All right, tell us, some of you asserted, it. it's in Time Magazine, it was on all the shows, everybody knew about it, but you were in the plane when an explosion occurred. I want you to tell our viewers what happened and what went on inside your own mind and sure. just your being. Well, um we were leaving New York, LaGuardia Airport, headed for Dallas, headed here. And so we had a lot of fuel. We were full of passengers and heavy with fuel. And about 20 minutes into the flight, uh, we felt like we'd been hit 
by a Mack truck on the left side. The jolt was so violent that Darren Ellison, my first officer, and I, comparing notes later, thought that we'd been hit by another aircraft that we'd had in midair. Our number one engine, which is on my side, the captain's side, had exploded, and we went into a rapid roll to the left. Darren and I both caught the controls and leveled the wings, but at that point, uh, we just, there was a shuddering that, that ensued that we couldn't focus our eyes on anything in the cockpit. And then we also had this stabbing pain in our ears and we realized we weren't breathing either. The noise got to a level immediately that we couldn't communicate over. And of course, that's all we knew at that point. What we didn't know was that the explosion had peeled the engine cowling back. It remained attached, a little bit like a banana peeling. But at 500 mile an hour wind, those big pieces of metal flailing underneath the wing were causing a shuddering that was uh, something we couldn't control. And then the, some, some of the damaged pieces had torn out sections of the leading edge of the wing and it hit some windows, one of which had blown out. And so the rapid- the oxygen goes out immediately. And right. that's, that is an explosion, but that's when you're saying you couldn't breathe. Right. Breathing would have been meaningless because there's no oxygen at that There is no oxygen. We usually have it at about 7,000 feet pressure right. at 32,000. And we suddenly went to 32,000. Mm -hmm. So that, that is a little bit like a balloon popping, that pressure that air pressure within, it, it is just forceful and rapid in equalizing. And so that happened, and, and then the 500 mile an hour wind going by that window made it so loud. And so all of this happened in, honestly, just the tiniest slice of a moment, not even a second. It all happened at once. And so it was very isolating, and, and adrenaline just kicks in. I think that's one of our God-given gifts is adrenaline when we need it. And I remember thinking in what I thought at the time was a very leisurely pace, uh, good news, bad news. Uh, bad news is I don't think everything's going to stay on mm. the aircraft until we get it to a runway. And... And that kind of mentally had me running to the cliffs of what if, and that was, then this would be the day that I meet my maker. And that's when my run just stopped, and I realized that I wouldn't be meeting a stranger. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when I really had a calm and backed away from the cliff of what if and realized, all right, that's the bad news fully investigated and I turned around to the good news which was we were still flying and I think that the calm that's in my voice in the ATC tapes reflects a calm heart which I needed to let's, make let's a lot of decisions. Let's listen to some of this just for a moment and here's what happened too when you lose the pressure and you lose an engine at that altitude you're going to descend and you're just trying to keep it stable. I mean, I know as a pilot, you want to keep it as level as possible. You were descending. Well, we lost 19,000 feet in five minutes. Mm -hmm. I it's mean, a steady, we were more than descending. It's a, it's a <laughs> steady decline. Yeah. I want you to listen, listen to her voice as she's talking to controller. This is going to skip through a little bit of lengthy time right on down to them, but just listen. Southwest 1380 has an engine fire descending. Southwest 1380, descend and maintain 6,000. Southwest 1380, down to 6,000. And when you get a chance, I need a few remaining souls on board. Okay, 149 souls on board, 5,000 of fuel. 
Southwest 1380. I understand your emergency. Let me know when you want to go in. Yeah, we have a part of the aircraft missing, so we're going to need to slow down a bit. Okay, could you have the uh, medical meet us there on the runway as well? We've got uh, injured passengers. Injured passengers, okay. And are you, is your airplane physically on fire? No, it's not on fire, but part of it's missing. They said there was a hole and, and uh, someone went out. Um, I'm sorry, you said there was a hole and somebody went out? Southwest 1380, it doesn't matter. We'll work it out there. Uh, so the airport's just off to your right. Report it in sight, please. In sight. Southwest 1380, airport in sight. Thank you. We're going to stop right here by the uh, fire truck. Thanks, guys, for the help. Wow. That, that, does that not sound like mm. a calmness? It's, it's like, it's, would you say it's almost like a supernatural calmness and a confidence not only in your training, but uh, you handle it well. Everybody talked about that. Okay, so now you are you're coming on down. Do you want to tell us anything about before you actually were able to get on the runway and then ultimately see the damage and know that someone's life had been lost? And uh, you, do, what, what's going on? What do you want our, our readers and our viewers well, to hear? I mean, as far as the flight details, I will say on the way down, uh, as soon as I got my oxygen mask on, Darren and I got our oxygen masks on, and uh, he was flying. I made sure he knew he's still flying, so there's not two people trying to control the same airplane. And I got on the PA, and it was the loudest portion of the flight. So it is really a miracle that they heard this, because we weren't able to communicate for 22,000 more feet. Mm -hmm. It was so loud. But I made a PA that just said, we're not going down, we're going into Philly. and. One of the things that we took away, passengers and crew alike, is just having a destination, having a plan and a destination, it gives you hope. Um, we were still in the same rough ride for 20 more minutes, so it didn't change our circumstances, but hope changes us, and that's enough. And so on our way down, I switched with Darren. Captains are supposed to land emergency uh, landings. Darren was doing a great job. But about 17,000 feet, I took over and took over the talking as well because he took over damage systems and talking with the flight attendants. At this point, the flight attendants had unbuckled, gone through the, the very rough aircraft, uh, above and beyond what their books call for them to do. They had sprained back, bruised ribs, cuts, lacerations from just going up and down, helping people and giving them that encouragement. We're, we're not going down. We're going into Philly. And they had discovered what had happened in row 14. And so they had called up and told us, we've got to slow down. We've got big guys helping, but we, we can't get the passenger back in. And so Andrew Needham, Tim McGinty, godly men, uh, gave up their oxygen mask, got the nod from their wives to go help and went towards a stranger and a very dangerous window when it was still very rough and helped to get Jennifer Reardon back in. And then Peggy Phillips, 78-year-old retired nurse, unbuckled through this rough ride, went back and gave CPR. And so we, we had a number of calls. We knew that there, was, um, that there was sorrow in the back, that this was certainly a, a dire medical situation. When we got ready to turn in, level off, over Philadelphia and turn in, we realized we had too much drag. We were about 10,000 pounds overweight for landing and we couldn't level off uh, without going to zero airspeed. And so we couldn't level off. We had to turn in from where we were. And we, we just had to change so many plans going in there, not realizing we were much more of a glider 
uh, we'd counted on the thrust for the number two engine, but with so much drag pulling you to the left, mm. adding power to on the right pushed us to the left. So we had to a diminishing amount of power available. Mm. And as we got ready to turn in, uh, we'd always made any right turn we needed at idle power. And so when I had a little power pushing me to the left, turning right wasn't working. Mm. And that was where when we went back and listened to the cockpit voice recorder, there's this silence both in ATC and in our cockpit. And then you hear my voice in this question mark saying, Heavenly Father? And then I didn't realize it was an outside prayer. I thought it was a private conversation. But I remember just thinking, Lord, what am I missing? Because I know we didn't wrestle this thing for 30,000 feet not to be able to turn the last 2,000 feet. And, you know, prayer often takes that mental metal cage off and lets us have the freedom to think uh, better and, and realizing asymmetrical thrust being the problem was also the answer and uh, got turned around and landed. And I, I just have to say, one of the things that's such, um, such an important part of this story is that when we rolled out and I went back and often people are very agitated and, and, um, and vocal about their aggravation. It was a rough ride. They had a right to be aggravated. Everyone was so silent and um, respectful and the weight of, of just the value of human life was felt that day on the flight. And no one knew Jennifer on that flight and Jennifer knew no one. But our American culture, which is not a perfect culture because we're not perfect people, mm -hmm. but it's rooted in Judeo-Christian values, which says life is sacred. And that it, you don't have to be known to be worthwhile. Your life is, is purposeful. And, and so that, I just was touched at how all the passengers just treated each other with a selflessness and the tenderness of a family. Um, 148 people went home to their lives and loved ones and, and one didn't, Jennifer Reardon, and that will always weigh heavy sure. on my heart and my crew's heart and my company's heart. And um, that evening, uh, my husband, Dean, called me. He's always flown the same aircraft I have. And so he totally understands the dynamics going on there besides um, being a godly man himself and, and knowing God's word. And he just encouraged me that night, knowing that there was such a conflict. I mean, of course, we were, were thrilled that we had a, a safe landing, which wasn't guaranteed. But the loss of one, it, it can never be out, outweighed. And he reminded me of those beautiful words in Ecclesiastes, that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And I had always thought those were on different days, but that day obviously showed me that that dichotomy can happen in a moment. But I feel like you got in that, because being a pilot and knowing you can't turn right when you get the drag on the left by putting more power on the right. right. And you need power to deal with altitude and direction and everything else. Somehow did you find it to some degree amazing that you were able to get it on the runway with some degree of of let's say directional control? Right. Well, um, 
I won't say I was surprised. I guess I was always trying. <laughs> and so I just thought I will be trying until we're at uh, zero airspeed on the ground. Yeah. And um, it, one of the things that I think God does for us so often, he doesn't come down and fly the airplane for us. He gives us years of preparation sure. and years of experience and opportunity to um, to learn the things that we're going to need later. So some of the things in my Navy background and even my Southwest background were not necessarily compliments. Uh, you know, I, I dealt with some kind of honored characters, and then I also dealt with some some aircraft that didn't behave either. And one of the assignments in particular, uh, I think about that phrase in, in Scripture that says, man, you know, whenever Joseph is talking to his brothers and he said, you know, you didn't mean it for good, but God used it for good. Whenever I wasn't allowed to teach gunnery pattern with my peers as an instructor and told no girls and guns in this squadron and sent to fly out of control <laughs> flight, you know, take it up, <laughs> depart flight 10 times, spin, spiral, stall, whatever, and, and the student all recover it. <laughs> right. So a year of doing that about every day. Um, <laughs> and that turned out to be some of the best training I had hmm. from the Navy. And it was not a uh, peach assignment. Well, you've written the story well, and I want to say, Thomas Nelson, I, I really appreciate you as a publisher. And um, y'all were the first ones who published my, my life story and published uh, a number of our books that I've written, but this is a dandy. Uh, thank you. And I want to thank you, uh, Tammy, uh, for just being available and knowing to talk to the Father who really cares and somehow gave a comfort that went way beyond the cockpit when you walked back. But you were really one who helped deliver that comfort. And I want to thank you. Would you thank God and would you thank Tammy for the way she really used the training and experience to really uh, likely save over 140 lives. Father, just thank you for this miracle in Jesus' name. I tell you what, uh, this book is really worth getting and reading. And Tammy, our viewers... Think about this, and I'm not exaggerating. We've had reports from African countries that we've saved 14 million plus children's lives. That's a lot of love. That That's is. a lot of care. That is. Came from our viewers to support the mission outreaches and feeding, to feed all these children, save their lives in the most horrible crisis in the world. I want to thank you. I want you to watch this because this is the... Uh, the most cruel killer, but there's a perfect cure, and it's delivered by love. I want you to watch very prayerfully because you can be the miracle someone desperately needs. Please watch. Please pray. I am a mother's worst nightmare. I thrive on the pain of children. I do not discriminate, and I show no mercy. You look into the eyes of a child who's seriously malnourished, and there's just nothing. It's like somebody just turned the light off. You won't see me coming, but you will soon hear me in your children's cries. My touch brings bloated stomachs, thinning hair that changes color, 
painful skin disorders and tiny bodies so thin and frail they appear as living skeletons. And to see this little helpless one with the skin literally peeling off his arms and his legs was such a horrifying sight. I am slow but sure. My name is malnutrition and my legacy is death. I heard someone on the news one day make a comment about the devastating deaths of children in some countries in Africa and yet the reporters suggested that perhaps the mothers there were more accustomed to that because it's very much part of their life. <sighs> I've seen with my own eyes what I knew in my gut. No mother will ever become accustomed to burying a child. The thing that really has blown me away the most, all of this is reversible. I love to see that beautiful smile. <laughs> Sheila, I love you. Thank you for going all over the world with life outreach, putting God's arms around the precious and the suffering. I want all of you to listen real close now. Just please hear me. Betty and I traveled all those places for 20 to 25 years, and we marched into hell, you might say, for a heavenly cause until Betty could experience a potentially life-changing experience of being paralyzed uh, from being hurt where there are no roads and banged around. And so we know what it is, and Sheila, you're just such a blessing. When you look at this horrible killer, and uh, I can't help but think of all the little children we watch die, sometimes in their mother's arms. I remember one of them where Betty and I were in Luanda, Angola, and we were watching them try to pump. They didn't have an oxygen machine. They didn't have oxygen. They had a little rubber tube and they were squeezing it, trying to get oxygen in a baby that wasn't breathing. And we watched that little baby take his last breath and nothing could save it. And we watched the mother in the hall and you and Ann Pretorius, Betty, trying to comfort this mother. And we appealed to you and we said, we can save these children. They're literally dying by the millions. Now, now you know this, this is not an exaggeration. The reports have come back to us from the African countries that we save between 14 and 15 million children's lives. When we say we, that's you. Somebody just like you, you did that. Now, now listen to me. When we saw, this is one of the most famous pictures that's ever been taken in history. It was Lady Di, Princess Diana, holding a little African child in her arms and that little baby was the healthiest, prettiest little baby any mom would want to take home. She was standing in front of that orphanage where those babies were dying and we watched them. And we said to you, the viewers, we can save those children. And here's Princess Di holding one of the babies, love for someone like you saved. And not only that one, but millions. Because somebody said, I'll be the miracle. I'll be the answer to prayer. That's what we're asking you to do this last week of Mission Feeding right now. We're asking you to make the greatest gift you can possibly make. If you could give $1,000 or $10,000, think about it. With $1,000, we can feed 100 children, 100 children the next month. Let me break it down more simply. For $30, $50, or $100, we can feed 3, 5, or 10 children for the next month. I don't know what you can do, but would you be a miracle for as many children as possible? Would you right now?
Father, please move people to get your arms of love around those that are so precious. Give them life in Jesus' name. Would you do that right now, please? Would you go get your bank card to get a check and make that check to life? Get your bank card, use it like a check, please. Go online right now. It's so easy to do it that way. Or you can dial that number. It's a prayer line. And make the gift. If you made it, call us and tell us what you're sending in. Because in this last week, we really need to hear from you. We're going to need a lot of help. We got 400,000 precious little malnourished lives that you can change with love. We have some gifts to send you to say thank you. But you're going to be given the greatest gift. You're going to be giving life. All because of love, God's love. Thank you so much for doing it. Mission Feeding began with a promise to be there in times of crisis for thousands of hurting and hungry children in their time of need. Now more than ever, we need your help to save lives by feeding and caring for children across the continent of Africa. With food reserves gone and many areas experiencing severe famine, we urgently need to replenish our supplies to reach the 400,000 children who are counting on us. Your gift of love can be the miracle answer to a desperate mother's prayer. Call now with your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 that will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for three full months. With your gift, we'll send you the Altered Worship CD by Anthony Evans. This powerful full-length album includes unique versions of some of today's most cherished worship songs that are sure to uplift and inspire you. With your gift of $100 or more, please request a filled with faith and joy travel mug set. These 12 ounce mugs are crafted with large handles, double layered insulation, and vacuum sealed lids to prevent spills. Each mug includes a message to remind you of God's blessings and faithfulness. Finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request our commemorative bronze sculpture, Safe in the Shepherd's Arms. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. But I'm just thanking God. I know you are too, Betty, for the love that you're expressing. By the way, if you call and get a busy, don't give up. Be determined. I'm going to help save lives. This is the last week, and I want you to remember special, real special year in gifts, would you? Because we really, we really need your prayers and your support. These children's lives depend on it. A lot of lives depended upon nerves of steel, but she knew who to call out to, and. Uh, Boy, Tammy's a blessing. This is a fabulous book. It's a great story. And you help us give life to these children and feed them. And you say, well, I know you're going to send us Anthony Evans' beautiful CD and other gifts, but would you send us uh, Tammy's book? Yes, we will. To bless you and those you love. Would all of you in our audience join Betty and me and send thanks to Tammy for blessing all of us. Bless you. Bless all the people that God bless with life. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks for sharing life.
Next week on Life Today, Dr. David Jeremiah pulls back the curtain, revealing the mysteries of heaven by answering some of the most popular questions. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.